on this episode of Lawrence Talks. I sit down with John Albandian, Professor Emeritus and the chair of a task force established by the City Commission to provide alternatives to how we currently elect our mayor and city commissioners. Lawrence Talks is brought to you in part thanks to our partners at the Hall Center, College of Liberal Arts and Sciences, KU Philosophy Department, and IDRH, as well as our newest partner, Douglas County Casa. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and online at lawrencetalks.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy. John, thank you for joining me again today. Uh, to begin our discussion, could you share a little bit about yourself and your history of political involvement in Lawrence? So I grew up, uh, I was actually born in New York City, but I grew up in uh, Los Angeles. I am um, Armenian on both sides of my um, both sides of my, my family. My wife uh, was uh, Japanese and uh, she died in 2014, but uh, she was actually born in an internment camp. In uh, in World War Two, uh, so we had one. One we grew up. We both grew up in um, L.A., but on different sides of town. I grew up on near the ocean, and she grew up on the east side of town. And we met at U. We met at USC, and uh, we had both lived in Los Angeles for our whole life. Uh, we got married. I went into the service. Um, that was Vietnam era. Uh, I then uh, worked for uh, Central Intelligence for a couple of years back in Washington, D.C. as an analyst, and then went back to um, USC because I wanted to um, I wanted to uh, feel like I had I was still interested in public service, but I felt like I wasn't having much of an impact at the federal level. So I went back uh, to uh, specialize in public administration with an eye towards local government and also human resources management. We came out to um, we came out to um, to the University of Kansas. Um, my first and only uh, academic appointment. Uh, we expected that we would only be here a couple of years, um, but. Our son flourished in the school system. He was just a little kid then. And, and uh, the, uh, the program that I was part of, the master's degree in public administration program that focused on local government was just really not only fed my interests, but it also fits so nicely with my personality. So I like to be part of a collective enterprise. Uh, that has a past, present, and a future. And that's what we have in the public administration program that specializes in local government at the University at the University of Kansas. So I had been um, on the faculty. I had been department chair. Uh, I had just finished um, a book, and that was in 1990. And so in 1991, I just decided... Um, you know, I hadn't had any particular long-range plan to run for public office, but uh, and I don't remember. I wish I did exactly my own motivations there, but um, you know, I ran for public office, and I do remember. I do remember one thing very vividly. 
Um, when John Carlin was first running for uh, governor, and I think he probably was running for the Democratic uh, nomination, um, he was actually in Lawrence. And um, believe it or not, he was walking door to door. And uh, there was a knock on my door. And, um, you know, I answered the door and he said, I'm John Carlin. I'm running for, you know, governor, um, going to run for governor of state of Kansas and uh, should be interested in your vote. And uh, we talked for just a little bit. And then I then I thought about that. And I said, my goodness, I just came from Los Angeles where this never would have happened. Never. You know, and I thought to myself, you can become anything you want to become. Whatever your aspirations are, you can realize it in a town like Lawrence, Kansas. And so, you know, one thing just led to another. And then I got elected in 1991. I was the second uh, top vote getter in a field of 12 then. So that meant I had a one year term. I had a four year term as a commissioner, plus uh, including one of those as mayor. And then I ran for re-election, finished first in the re-election. And so I got another term, uh, one-year term as mayor. And so that was uh, until 1999. So 1991, 1999, I was also on the faculty, but um, still, but uh, commissioner as well and mayor. And uh, then I went back to the department and became department chair again. And then, um, you know, after I had gotten the practical experience and had actually sort of, you know, proved myself to our alums who are notably city managers throughout the country, I, I really, I think that really gave me a lot of credibility uh, among, not only among them, but among local uh, government practitioners nationwide and internationally. So uh, after that, I, I have done and continue to do consulting with local governments. Before we get to the particulars of the task force, could you give us a sense uh, or a primer of how our current government structure works? So we we are a council manager form. Uh, we actually call it commission form, but nationally it's called a council manager form of local government. Um, the form of government uh, was created created in the early part of the 20th century uh, after World War II, uh, when there was a lot of uh, uh, suburbanization, it became very, very popular. So there's two forms, two primary forms of local government. So one is at the city level. One is the council manager form that we are, or that we call ourselves commission uh, manager, and I'll, I'll use those terms interchangeably. Um, and then there is a mayor council uh, form. The mayor council form is uh, patterned after federal and state government. So there is a legislative branch and an executive branch so that the mayor, directly elected mayor, 
who is in charge of the executive branch, so carrying out the law. And then there is the legislative um, branch, the city council, that's responsible for making the law. They are separate, but equal. And so they are, that is truly designed as a checks and balances uh, kind of uh, structure. That structure and it, it, it kind of gets complicated at the turn of that turn of the century from the 1800s to 1900s. But what was happening at the time is that there was there was a significant movement from agriculture, from rural to urban. And part of that was driven by a really significant immigration into our cities. And so with that immigration into the cities from both uh, rural and uh, from overseas, uh, put a tremendous amount of pressure on cities for things like streets, sewers, distribution of water. I mean, all the kinds of things that we take for granted today were really under pressure at the time. The the political apparatus was not, did not really have the capacity to provide expertise to the application of these problems. And it was a time also where the notion of efficiency was really becoming accentuated in the private sector because of industrialization. So what was happening was there was this emphasis on efficiency that was that also was operating parallel with a political environment, especially at the local level, that was oriented around patronage and favoritism, because with increasing size and services that were expected in cities, there was a lot of opportunity for new jobs and for contracts. And so partisanship was very, very important. And so that's where council manager government came about in trying to both modernize the political side of things, get rid of the corruption, but also employ expertise in the application of public resources. So council manager form was then created. And what it, what it was very, very different from uh, what it existed prior to that. Prior to that, there were what was called long ballots. So many positions that are now seen as Uh, public service career positions filled by experts were elected appointments. So, you know, like a director of the jail, uh, parks and rec director, uh, dog catcher, whatever it was, they had this long ballot. And so, um, no, it was really, really very hard for individuals to get to know who these people were. So all they did was they just voted on a partisan, a partisan ticket, which 
gave more um, more a leverage to to the parties. So here's what council manager government proposed: going from a separation of powers to a unification of powers. So instead of a large number of elected offices, they said no. We're going to elect five five elected officials who will be constitute a governing body. The governing body will be elected at large, no districts, at large, so they, they can look at the big picture and nonpartisan, so politics won't be involved. The the five, the number five was important because it said if we limit the number of elected officials in the governing body, people can actually get to know who they're mm-hmm. voting, who they're voting for. So the, the mayor, in addition, the mayor was to be selected by the governing body in order uh, as a, from a member from their membership. So one of the five would become the the mayor, um, and that was designed to make sure that the mayor, who was going to be part of the governing body and would vote as a member of the governing body, had the support of the other members of the governing body. That governing body would then be responsible for appointing a city manager. So the city manager was to be selected on the basis of competence, knowledge, skills, and abilities, not political favoritism. That city manager was appointed by the council as a whole, the governing body as a whole, not the mayor. That city manager served at the pleasure of the governing body. So the city manager could be fired at the discretion of the governing body. The city manager was accountable to the governing body as a whole, and the city manager would be responsible for hiring department heads and that hiring hiring process. The department heads would report to the city manager who would report to the governing body. City manager is responsible for carrying out the wishes of the governing body and also for advising the governing body. Because nowadays, when you look at agenda for a local government, 90, 95% of the items are brought are put on the agenda, are brought to the attention of the governing body by the staff, because there are so many issues, especially those having to do with infrastructure, that governing body members would have no knowledge of if it weren't for the staff bringing those issues to the governing body. So that's what we have here in Lawrence. We have a classic, commission manager form of government. From your last point about the relationship between the city manager and the commission, it seems similar in function to a president's chief of staff, someone who helps carry out executive directives. Yes, except 
except the chief of staff reports only to the president. The city manager reports the governing body as a whole. Okay, furthermore, the chief of staff can be selected by the president on whatever basis, you know, is a friend, we've worked together before. That's not the way it goes with the city manager. Now, regarding to the task force itself, uh, what are some of the, or what are the defining directives that make up its scope? Sure. I mean, we're, we're basically what the task force says is that um, we are, we are not the task force is what the, what the commission said was and the resolution, we, we, you are not directed to make resume recommendations that would challenge the form of government itself. In other words, we're not asking you to look at um, the mayor council option. What we are looking for is recommendations having to do with adaptations to the council manager form. So what we want to know is we want to know how you feel about a directly elected mayor rather than a mayor elected for by the um, selected from the governing governing body. Uh, we want to know about terms in office, not only for um, the not only for the mayor, but for the other governing body members as well. And we want to know whether you think how you think that the members of the governing body should be elected. We elect them at large now. Should we elect them by district? Should we elect some by district? Should we elect some at large? And uh, those are the kinds of things that we are that we are trying to look at. We do have a lot of precedent. So, for example, um, seventy percent of council manager cities nationwide directly elect their mayor for a four-year term. Sixty percent of those council manager cities elect their representatives at large, the way we do. But 20% elect them by district, and 20% elect them as a combination of district and at large. I did some, I looking at, um, I looked at um, Overland Park, Lenexa, Olathe, and Shawnee, and they all employ districts or some combination of district at large. I did also look at Manhattan and Iowa City because they're university communities and they both are very similar to what we do. It appears that the more direct route being suggested here is also about promoting a greater sense of democratic involvement. Yes, we actually have uh, at the very first uh, meeting, Eileen Horn, who's one of our one of our task force members, former member of the legislature and also worked for the county. Um, she uh, suggested that um, we develop a set of values um, that would sort of guide our work and that we could, when we finish with our recommendations, we could go back to those values and say, are our recommendations consistent 
with the values. So one, uh, we have about five or six, and um, four of them are oriented around um, increasing involvement, increasing the voice of those who have not been involved in in the past. Uh, so those are those are important variable important considerations for us. You've spoken briefly about the differences between at-large voting and voting by district. What are some of the benefits between the two, or what are the what are the virtues of either one? There has been some research on the effectiveness of districts versus at-large. Commonly, the idea is that districts allow uh, a minority population to have more voice than an at-large where those voices get drowned out by a majority. Research shows and logic suggests, however, that districts are only affected, effective when minority populations are clustered. So if the minority population is dispersed throughout the entire community, then a district doesn't empower the minority. So, and, and when I say minority, it could mean any kind of minority that you want to give voice to. Um, so, because districts have to be, by law, they have to be contiguous. I mean, within a district, you can't have a district that says, okay, we're going to have part of a district is going to be here and part of a district is going to be on the other side of town because that's where minorities live here and minorities live here. So we're going to combine. No, that there has to be geographic connection and there has to be roughly an equal number of residents in each in each district. The minority population in Lawrence is divided among African-Americans, Native American, Asian-American, and then biracial uh, biracial groups. So that total population of minority population only amounts to about 80% of the total. And it is not at all clear that, that each of those minorities would have similar interests to start, to start with, right? Um, but it also, we, we need more information to be able to see whether or not there are clusters. It's absolutely, and, and, here's, the, and here's another, see, and there's costs and benefits to this. If you have a district you have one person who you know is supposed to be the spokesperson for your district well if that if that person who is your district rep if you bring an issue to that person you live in that district you bring an issue to that district there's that representative and he says i'm not interested in this what are you going to do if you are at, if you're if you have an at large election like we uh, system like we do now, you have your choice of five people who you can go to, and you pick the one who you think is going to be more sympathetic. So, for example, when I was on the council, I apparently project a fairly aloof uh, profile 
uh, on the council, okay? An academic who has this scowling look, you know? And so I rarely got phone calls. We got phone calls in those days. And Bob Moody was like, um, he was like the people's choice and he would get all the phone calls. So, so people clearly were choosing who they were going to, you know, who they were going to go to with their, with their, with their concerns. Of course, they saw something in me because I got reelected with the most votes. So that's a, that's a different, that's the different story. So, um, so there's, you know, those uh, pros and cons to the, to, to the, to the districts and versus at large. During this process, will there be a chance for the public to make comments and, and provide feedback? So the citizen feedback, we actually created a timeline. It's very tentative, but what we've done is created space uh, to where we hope to have our recommendations, but not have not yet presented them to the, um, to the governing body where we can have a meeting where, you know, we can, the subject of that meeting would be, would be public comment. We do have public comment uh, that is included uh, in each of the task force meetings. That's part if someone wants to, someone wants to join in. My sense is that where the most important opportunities and salience of public comment is going to be once we make our recommendations. Then they're on the table, and then and now the city count the city commission has to consider whether or not to put them on the ballot, and that's when I think uh, the real emphasis on engagement is going to take place. Now, one reason that the city switched to its current way of electing the mayor was to limit the amount of power uh, and therefore damage that a mayor could do. How, how would a system that goes back to directly voting for a mayor alter that or how does our current system and how does our current system do that? Our mayor right now, the role of the mayor is more determined by past practice and by the general outlines of council manager government than it is by any specific document. There's no really detailed job description, okay? So we're trying to develop roles and responsibilities and what I have done, a, a list of roles and responsibilities that the task force can look at and say, yes, we think this should be part of the role. No, we don't think this should be part of the role. What I did was I, uh, I wrote to a number of city managers that I, that I respect, and I said, tell me about the advantages of a four-year directly elected mayor. And tell me what the role of the mayor is. And these were all jurisdictions where they they had the directly elected four year mayor. And so I got that. I got those responses and I put them into a list. And then um, we also added 
to the list as a task force, we played around with it a little bit. And then we actually had a survey of the task force members on which role do you think we should advocate for the mayor and which role do you want not the mayor not to have? And so what's coming out of that is we want the mayor to be in charge of the meetings. We want the mayor to be seen as the ceremonial head of the government. We want the mayor to have responsibility for facilitating, initiating and facilitating uh, uh, strategic, strategic planning and review of the strategic plan. We want the mayor to annually provide a state of the city address. We, we are still debating whether we want the mayor to vote as a member of the governing body or only to vote in case of a tie. I think we're moving towards keeping the idea of the mayor um, voting as a member of the governing body. And the argument there was, if the mayor only votes in a tie, how do you know where the mayor stands on any issue? So I think that's going to happen. We're still playing around with those, but those are the kinds of things that um, we are talking about. And what it would do is the, by itself, the idea of us directly electing the mayor and for a four-year term, that in itself would symbolize more focus on the mayor. So the mayor, excuse me. So we would have mayoral campaigns that were focused on more issue-oriented than when a list of candidates are, you know, just running for office. So we would have the opportunity actually for like debates. Um, a four-year term would provide more stability in terms of policy, in terms of policy direction. It would also um, promote uh, some, some perception, if not reality, about accountability as well. Um, but we would still want the mayor to be seen as part of the governing, as part of the governing body and city manager reporting to the governing body as a whole. So those are the things that we've been looking at. Now you've served as mayor of Lawrence before, as you've previously mentioned. You've also written about the sort of mayor that you think is best for the sort of system that we, we have here. You call this the facilitative mayor. mayor. Could you speak a little bit more about what, how the facilitative mayor, mayor operates? So the facilitative mayor is in contrast to the executive mayor. So the executive mayor is the equivalent of the governor or the president. So you are the executive. You are in charge of blah, 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 blah. The facilitative mayor is not formally in charge. Okay, so the facilitative mayor cannot direct 
the city staff uh, to do to do to do anything that the governing body has not has not uh, um, agreed to. Um, I, I, I should have said, too, that the what we're looking at as well is that the mayor, with the advice and consent of the other governing body members, would appoint uh, governing body members to task force and citizens to advisory boards, advisory boards as well. So the facilitative mayor, then the role is really paying attention to where people are on different issues, you know, and and seeing if you can facilitate agreement among the council members rather than staking out a spot and then seeing who's for, who's a who's against. Okay, so that's more the role of facilitator mayor. Furthermore, I think the mayor's facilitative role is bringing community interests, uh, sort of, sort of uh, connecting community interests with city, um, uh, with governing body processes and deliberation. So, trying to make those kinds of kinds of connections. I mean, it, even now. See, even now, with it, with the kind of the mayor that we have, just the mayor being someplace and speaking carries carries weight. So I remember that I think that I, I was I remember I was the mayor, and most people don't remember this, um, but the art center was trying to, was going to expand, okay? They had a location downtown and they were going to expand. And we were trying to kind of figure out, they were trying to figure out where they had a group, where they should expand. Should it be downtown or should it be out of town? And this would have been out almost by the turnpike, you know, out there where are those? And it would have been it would have been a bigger, you know, big and and really robust. But it wouldn't have been wouldn't have been downtown. And uh, I went to uh, one or more of the meetings and I, you know, I said, gee, I really think we ought to try to work and see, make sure this thing is downtown. Now, I didn't say I want this downtown. I said, I think this would be a good idea if it was downtown. Years later, after you know it was built and it was downtown, and I was talking to the director of the um, of the art of the art center, and she said, You know why we're down here? We're down here because you said we ought to be downtown. And it was like I don't even remember that, Anne. <laughs> that's the kind, see, that's the kind of status that you have as mayor. So the idea of we need more power to the mayor, no, no, no. The mayor's role has status, and depending on who you are and the way you carry yourself, that status 
is translated into influence. And that's the facilitative mayor. In a governing body such as the city commission, you have to deal with differences in personalities, differences in approach to the position. How do you think a mayor should approach that task of handling these differences in personalities, especially when it comes to making decisions? Um, I think that while the issues of like a department chair are very different from the issues that a city affect uh, affects a city and the role of the mayor, that if you look at those roles through a facilitative lens, they are very common. So, you know, you 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 would not be a person who is a facilitative department head would not me be a mayor who is my way or the highway okay so there's very much a very much in when roles are of vague vague is too strong when they don't have really strong parameters then the personality of the incumbent really plays plays a role in shaping in shaping the decision making process and the and the discussion so i saw myself as both mayor and department chair in very similar very similar light but the, the the differences, though, are, however, I think are when we talk about city business. OK, I you know what I say is. Um, after all the facts are known and we can still disagree. That's when we vote. If we can, if there is a correct, a correct solution to a problem, we don't vote. So it doesn't make sense to vote. You, know, you don't vote on whether gravity exists or not. It's ridiculous, okay? You might vote on, should we go to a Mexican restaurant or should we go to a Chinese restaurant tonight? Okay, there's no correct answer. We're talking about, we're talking about preferences. And so the, the, the kinds of no correct answers are really come out in in play in the political atmosphere. And that's why and that's why I very strongly believe that um, that political choices have to be linked to fundamental, fundamental democratic values. And those values can be enumerated. You know, I talk about representation. I talk about efficiency and effectiveness. I talk about equity and I talk about individual rights. And those are the values that 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 political issues, they really put the, the conflicts among and within those values come to bear. And that's where those who are really skilled at politics are able to find the connections between 
the differences, <laughs> to be able to pull it together so that it's not, the solution is not divisive, but it still can make us, move us ahead. Now, one of the things that I find intriguing about your example and also other academics taking public office here in town, like uh, Shannon Portillo, who is on the county commission board, uh, is that it, it's an ex- these are examples of people who are generally tasked with thinking about theories and generally broad abstract ideas about particular aspects of, of government and policy making that take those experiences and then try to apply them to to the actual task or to the practical task of of actually being part of the deliberative process. How important do you think it is to for academics to do this? To yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think of people like uh, Professor Chuck Epp in in our department is a distinguished professor and. He is a renowned scholar in the area of policing and the law. And uh, he's not going to run for public office, but he's on different commissions. He's on different task force. You know, he's called upon for his advice and opinion. And he is a valued asset because he makes himself available in that way. And he can speak to, to those concerns in ways that non-academic can understand and appreciate. And so I think that it depends very much on this, the, the relevance of what, you're, what you are working on as an academic the relevance to the interests of the population uh, out there, like in a community, for example. And so there are ample opportunities if you want to seek them out in terms of advisory boards and, and so on and so forth. And I think that um, given the number of service opportunities that um, it is very useful uh, for people to have academics to have that kind of experience. And what was the reverse effect of your experience as mayor and on the commission board working with other people on some of your own research commitments? It gave me more confidence in what I was, you know, in what I was, uh, in what I was writing about. Um, because my, my, my research is more, I would say, qualitative than quantitative. So, you know, I, I had a lot of, uh, you know, flexibility in, in how to do that. And I, you know, I'm always able to be able, I'm always able to say to, this is especially true to, um, well, to, I guess, to both practitioners and academics. I'm, what I'm saying now may not connect to the way you see things, but I do have eight years of experience as an elected official and I think I was reelected 
with the most votes that anybody had gotten in a city election up to that time. So obviously something worked. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, so as, as we bring this conversation to a close, uh, I'd like to end on what you think are the sort of final upshots or the final takeaways that you'd like our audience to gather from from our discussion today. I think that it's really important for people not to get into an either or mentality about this. Okay, because there no no matter what we decide and what we recommend, there will be pros and cons because there is no correct answer to whatever it is. And I think that while many people will focus on the district versus at large issue, I think the most important thing that we're doing is our decision on will we recommend a four-year mayor, uh, a mayor, a directly elected mayor with a four-year term? And why is the issue of term limits the sort of final takeaway or upshot you want to end off on? I, if 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 I thought that the differences in the community could be captured in precincts. You know, then I would be more inclined to look at the importance of the district at large. I think regardless of what we come up with district at large, that the differences among the different districts are not going to be as profound as they would be if we were in, you know, Kansas City, Missouri, you know, very different, very different areas. Um, I think that bringing more focus on the mayor's role, which will be the directed, directly elected, as well as a four-year term, will have benefits that we don't have right now that have to do with things like debate during the election, okay, among Two, two or more candidates running for running for this particular office, mayor, the idea of the continuity, you know, four years, you, you know, there's learning that goes on in this business. And so you have to learn. And for us, you know, you're a one year mayor <laughs> and it's like learning doesn't count. Uh, but you have to learn and the better able and the more you learn, the more effective you're going to become if you have the talent. John, I want to thank you again for joining me here today and providing your thoughts on not just the task force, uh, but on the nature of, of the mayor's role in Lawrence um, and and the many questions that this decision or that the task force decision is uh, ultimately going to bring or raise um, and for people to ultimately uh, consider and deliberate about as they consider the future of city commission elections. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. These were the questions raised and we hope you consider them and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Lawrence Talks.